welcome to episode 41 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, we have the Editor-in-Chief of the World. Wow, I've been promoted to Editor-in-Chief of the World? That's impressive. Is that like, does that mean I lead the United Nation of Journalists? There is no limit to your abilities, John. I just picture you on an iron throne, and I plan on shooting you in the bowels with a crossbow. This is not Game of Thrones. That's really oh, brutal, John. It also, be. spoilers for Game of Thrones. Jeez, John. I haven't, I haven't said anything. Rob. <laughs> I've never read more than 100 pages of any of the novels or watched the television show. So oh, that's a damn it's shame. Pretty, it's pretty much impossible for me to spoil anything about it. John, so. we still don't know who you are. I, I'm John McCarroll. <laughs> Editor-in-chief of the world. Oh, well, fine then. Okay, all right. Uh, we also have uh, the man who is really angry because Blizzard will not give him a Diablo 3 beta key. Steven Meyering, Taylor's on the boards. And yes, everybody but me has a Diablo code. Everybody! Well, Zach doesn't. Yeah, I, I'm Zach. I'm Zach super fun on the count. boards. I've liked Diablo longer than him. That's a very true statement. I liked statement. it before it was cool. Well, you liked it. Wait, Zach, was the first Diablo out before you were alive? Yes. It, no, no, no. It was out while I was a, a living, breathing human being, okay. just just for your information. Although I couldn't play either Diablo 1 or 2 because they were rated M, and my parents didn't let me do that. <laughs> well, Zach, it's good to have you What's back. That, M? Sure, go for it. <laughs> Zach, it's good to have you back on the show, man. We've missed you. So it's, college it's, sucks, it's, huh? It's, yeah, I know, right? I'm writing this thing called a thesis, and it has to be like 40 pages long, and I'm like really sad all the time. Uh, I can't I, even see, play my video games. I can't see, wait to go back I, to school in the fall. I remember, I remember my final project. It was uh, a rhetorical criticism on the speech that Gerald Ford gave pardoning Richard Nixon, and it was 25 oh. pages long. Oh, that's great. We have some class on the podcast right now. And my last thing uh, ever was in grad school. I did my master's thesis, and I took an E&M test where the prof, after saying for three weeks, three weeks of studying, saying, oh, yeah, don't worry about any derivations. Eighty percent of the test was pure derivation from notes. I just gave him the finger and walked out. (laughs) What's funny is uh, when you said I took my my master's thesis and then I – the next thing I expected you to say was took an arrow to the knee. (laughs) Oh, no. I, I felt so dirty when I up when I updated the soundtrack section and made the headline. I used to update on time, and then I took an arrow to the knee. Yeah, that meme, that, uh, meme, that meme is dead. I felt written, so dirty when I did the that. Soundtrack reviews have I written like two or three? Have they even gone up, Stephen? Yeah, both of them just went up. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. Did you guys see the um? All these mods are coming out for Skyrim, and there's one that turns it into Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> You can go Super Saiyan and, like, fly around the world. I kind of want to play Skyrim again right now. Somebody made the Macho Man mod official and made it follow all the way through the game. Ooh, yeah! Yeah! My favorite is, is the mud crabs in top hats and monocles. <laughs> That's funny. That's the reason I bought that game on PC, so... Uh, we have a lot of games to talk about right now. Um, we, uh, I know John has been just tearing through review code like crazy. You're in the re- middle of reviewing something that you can't talk about, but we will definitely talk about that uh, next time on the podcast. It's pretty good, right? He can't I, talk about it. He can't say anything. That's the best part. Just by saying I, he already said too much, so we're not going to put John in trouble. Uh, but yeah, we got lots of games However, to talk about. However, I'm playing another game for review that I can talk about and we will talk about. Okay, what game is that, John? That's Hyper Dimension Neptunia Mark II. I'm sorry. <laughs> is it that bad? It's better than the first one. 
But is that's this the like, game you said you were surprised that it wasn't outright awful? Yes, I was surprised that it was merely bad instead of completely awful. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I gotta say that. I got to say that John gets a lot of review code for the website, and, and sometimes I get the little green eye of jealousy where I'm like, damn, man, he got that review code. He gets to play the game. And then I look at the other games that John plays, and I'm like, no, you good. <laughs> it, it, or, look, it, that, that's, that's the drawback is if you want to play all the really fun games, you've got to review the really the crappy games ones. too. <laughs> oh, you want to review Deus Ex Rob? Mm, here's Final Fantasy thirteen. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. I wish we had thought of that. Oh, that would have been terrible. <laughs> Hey, you know, Rob, um, we still don't have a review for uh, Gothic 4, just an FYI. Um, I don't, like don't, don't do that. Don't do that to yourself, Rob. <laughs> Actually, I could probably handle that. Don't do that to yourself, Steve. Is it, is Dude, it, all, I've, all I've reviewed Gothic recently games? are good games. I thought the Gothic games were supposed to be awesome. Well, the first the first three Gothic games were made by Piranha Bytes. The fourth was not. Yeah. Ooh. It's um. The Risen is the yeah. Risen is the Gothic guys. Ah. Uh, so anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Yeah. So talk about uh, hyperdimension. Ne- 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 hyperdimension <laughs> Neptunium Mark II. Okay. Let me make this incredibly clear to everyone listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed the original Hyperdimension Neptunia, you're going to love Hyperdimension Neptunium Mark II. If you played it and hated it or don't care. Congratulations, you know, Tales of the Abyss is out, um, you know, lots of other games are out, play those. <laughs> play other things, do not play, play this game. Play, play other things, pretty much, the, the, this this game falls into the Idea Factory compile heart, like, this is their status quo. They make games targeted towards a very specific niche and it sells to that niche, and nobody else cares, and that's fine with them because these games are so low budget. Like I, the, you know, when when you have big budget games like you know Mass Effect and and The Witcher that have these great dialogue systems that show animation and everything, um, and then you have Hyperdimension Neptunia, which occasionally will show a character during dialogue boxes, um, but most of the time it doesn't. Do you think that there's room for these games that don't have the you know levels of money like Skyrim or Deus Ex or? I I absolutely do, but it's all about return on investment. It's it has nothing to do with oh you know it doesn't matter that that I think that this game is bad because you know what I'm not the target audience for this game. Right, right. But if they spend a million dollars on this game and only aim to sell fifty thousand copies to to you know the audience, well. I, you know what? I'm pretty confident that they can do that. You know, and oh. that makes their return on investment. Yeah, it's 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 business, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought video games are business? I know that. Yeah. Like, Gosh. whenever people are like, "Oh, I hate this," I'm like, "Well, then, uh, okay, is there something that you think you could do for a living while keeping to the business model that you want to subscribe to?" And I say, I think not. Well, I think it's also important for consumers, and maybe this is just because when when you actually start to like try to save money and live a life and like try to have a family, like I, I try to speak about what kind of content I want with my money. Um, just anecdotally, a bunch of kids in the dorm got together when we had a, a holiday, and they were like, "Mr. Stoneman, can you take us out to the movies?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess I can take you guys to the movies. Where what do we want to go see?" And they were like, "We want to go see Episode One in 3D," and I was, <laughs> and I was just like. Nope. No. <laughs> no. 
I'm not giving that man any more money. Like you have to – I think it's important for people to to make – you have to be critical with your money. If you don't like something, then don't go out and buy it. Like, Now, I, now to be fair, the, there's a difference between – like you, there can be games in the genre that you like and that you can expect to like and end up being bad. John, you got the robot voice going on real quick. My name is John. I am – I All right. Don't know am I going. still a robot? No, you're better now. Okay. I uh, can't know you... that for sure. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, asking him questions. <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. You guys are at... jerks. Oh man, he almost put a coin in the coin jar. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're editor in chief, can we just make this podcast as blue as possible? What? B- blue is an industry term for like you know vulgar and no. oh. <laughs> no, I was the one who who wanted to make it friendly in the. First. Oh, that's right. That was the first interaction I ever had with John was after the first podcast where we cursed a couple of times, and John was like, "I was horribly offended to hear these kind of things." And I was like, "What a dick!" It, <laughs> like, it wasn't. To be fair, it wasn't a couple, and there were references <laughs> to various things of a yeah. suggestive, overly suggestive nature. We were a younger podcast then. We, we going back and listening to the old podcasts. I'm like, God. Jeez, we had a lot of work to do. Anyway, so I, I forgot what the hell we were talking about. I have to mention <laughs> Neptunia Mark II. Yeah, Neptunia Mark II. So the the game's combat is probably the only thing that that is even average in the game, um, and it's unfortunately bogged down by the fact that the entire game is sending you on fetch quests, kill X amount of thing quests, Ugh. and send you to the same dungeons over and over, and you fight palette swapped enemies. Oh, Lord. Like, the story that brings you along, it's supposed to be a, a nice uh, uh, satire on the games industry and piracy. You fight enemies called CFW, custom firmware, and R4, <laughs> which was, you know, the R4 for the DS, which were both ways that you could pirate those games. Um, and and kind of clever. <laughs> it, you know what? It, the, if it were done well... It would be clever, but (laughs) even though it establishes these concepts, as opposed to to, you know, making commentary throughout the game, pretty much spends the entire rest of the game running away from that point. And it it uses, you know, all the characters are either supposed to be manifestations of game companies or or these these video game consoles. And every single character in the game, with the exception of several enemies, are female. Like, every single party member, every single friendly NPC, all female. So is this a case of you've got some JRPG in my JRPG? Yeah, pretty much. It goes beyond just, like, a generic JRPG, because, you know, we've all played generic JRPGs, and it's mm. fine. It is made specifically for the the Moe or Loli or whatever you want to call that fan. Gotcha. Like, it, the game has it much like the original Hyperdimension Neptunia and Arts and Elico Three. It's got a lot of very overt sexual aspects oh, to the game. God. Yeah, so it, like I said, it has a very very specific audience, which is unfortunate because, like I said, they actually got to a decent point with the battle system where it's fun to play. You you have you know a 3D battleground that you can move a certain amount in any given turn. And you have a small targeting square that changes size based on the kind of weapon you have equipped. And when you attack, you have a button press, X, uh, square, triangle, circle. And those will – or not circle, circles, 
cancel. But those will do different things and can put together combos based on those. It's it's really unfortunate that the game is so poor quality otherwise because if it gave me a reason to play through it, if it gave me a reason to care about the characters, if it gave me a reason to you know, want to go out and quest, it actually wouldn't be a half-bad game. But mm-hmm. because it doesn't do any of those things, it's a it's a average battle system. And no, it, it's even though it's functional, it's still average at best. It's an average battle system surrounded by subpar elements. Oh, dear. It, and it's 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 frustrating because it's I I don't like most idea factory games. I've played a great deal of them at my tenure here at RPG Fan. I don't like them. This is Idea Factory and Compile Heart. You know what? They actually had something on their plates that might have been decent, but it's not. And that's the most frustrating part because you know what? Honestly, I would love for these guys to create a, a quality RPG, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Mm. So well, it's so far. Well, I find it really disappointing because when, when you first started talking about the storyline and how it's kind of postmodern and it's you know making fun of its uh, making fun of the current situation and it's a satire. Like I remember in games like Dot Hack, where just hearing about the game's story immediately got me interested because I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like that in a game before. The, That's kind of cool. And the problem that Neptunia has is, as opposed to making things clever, it's just an overlay. Like, oh uh, yeah. It, it's okay. So the worlds of Lowy, Leanbox, uh, Last Station, and Planeptune. Well, okay, that's that's the Saturn, the PlayStation, the Wii, and the Xbox. So it's you're just it, it's kind of like the difference between having um, what which games were uh, Breath of Death and Call of Cthulhu and uh, Cthulhu Saves the World. Breath of Death was just a lot of references to games, and I, I found it charming, but I didn't. It's like the Family Guy type joke where it's like, uh, okay, you you did like an an 80s montage joke and that's kind of cool, but you didn't go any further than that. Yes, exactly. But then Cthulhu Saves the World actually, you know, brought in elements of the Cthulhu mythos and like HP Lovecraft and made it more unique, like and made it part of the gameplay and I think that that's a much better way of going about doing it. Anybody can sit here and make a, you know, manatee joke like Family Guy, but that doesn't make you clever. Yeah, exactly, and that's the issue that Neptunia runs into is that that while there there's it, the the concept is one that could appeal to a much wider swath of gamers, but because it doesn't do anything with it, it's it's all the personifications of the game companies. I I have no idea how these are supposed to relate to the companies themselves. They're just generic anime characters with the names of game companies slapped on them. Oh, that's a shame. You know, it's like you, you have the Idea Factory character, the Pile Art character, the Falcom character, the Gust character. Well, the Gust character really likes alchemy. Well, okay, congratulations, every single Gust game ever has some element of alchemy in it. That's how they created this character. It's not, there's nothing clever about it. There's nothing, it, it's frustrating. There's no, com- there's no commentary. It's just like, okay, here is a character. Who is this? Yeah. It's 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 you know it's it's the cheap pop. It's like when you know you go when comedians go to a city and they're like, ah, oh, hello Cleveland, and Cleveland cheers. <laughs> That's what it is. Hello Cleveland. How do we get out to stage? <laughs> and and it, it's you know what it's it's frustrating because even the even with the overt sexual elements, even with the the mediocre story, even with the awful graphics, you know what there could have been something here. And there's not. Uh, is there a Final Fantasy character in there or not? No. 
Oh. No, it's 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 mostly all the the companies that they well they there there are are a bunch of references to to other game series that they obviously don't have licensing for in like the monsters. There are the ghosts from Pac-Man, but yeah. they're not the ghosts from Pac-Man because they don't have the licenses for the ghosts from Pac-Man. That could be so cool if they had gone all the way with it and made a part of the gameplay or a, even a larger part of the story. Dang, that's a shame. But you know, it's 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 unfortunate. You know, it's it's you know, there there there's no way they're going to get uh, the licensing for that sort of thing. They're a tiny Japanese public or a tiny Japanese developer. Yeah. You know, Which they're, in a way, they're... I, I guess that's kind of good because I mean, at least we got the game. Like, even if it's not you know necessarily if it's not for us, you know, the fact that the little tiny company actually localized it is still pretty. You know, for that section of the audience, it's nice that they can well, actually get. And you know, like it, it, it's clear that that NIS America is is very uh, very loyal to that niche because that's how they make their money. You know, mm-hmm. NIS Absolutely. America localizes lots of games targeted towards that niche. And you know what? I know that that niche makes up a, a great. You know, not a great majority, but a big chunk of our audience. And you know what? They'll understand. You know what? If you liked Hyperdimension Neptunia Mark One or Hyperdimension Neptunia, I suppose it doesn't have Mark One, you're going to like Mark Two. If you didn't, you're not. But I think, honestly, you don't need my review to tell you that. You're probably going to know that coming into the game. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> don't know what else to say on that one. I mean, it's it's. I, you know, I I want them to create a game that has wider appeal and better quality, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I truly wish it would. On the JRPG front, uh, I, I know this is kind of a kind of a leap from what we're talking about right now, but I, I mentioned a Final Fantasy character, and did you guys see? Um, I think it was Jeremy Parrish posted something on on One Up, and he was like, "Here's another reason why we shouldn't have a uh, Final Fantasy VII remake." And all he did was he took an original picture of Squall, like the uh, Squall, uh, original picture of Cloud, and compared it to the Dissidia version of Cloud, where like the original Cloud is like standing tall. It's like the the T-shirt picture that came with the pre-orders of Final Fantasy VII, and he's standing triumphant, and you can tell he's the hero. And then you have Dissidia Cloud, who looks like totally indifferent. The gun blade looks heavy, and he just he's got that emo look in his face, and he's like. <laughs> Did I say Gunblade? You're, you're really I got Final, on Fantasy, Final Fantasy VIII Fantasy on the mind VIII. right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I got Final Fantasy VIII on the mind. But uh, Cloud's holding the Buster Sword, and he just looks so tired and so emo. And it's like this is the problem: is like Final Fantasy VII, which was supposed to be this like rousing adventure, has become like emo, stupid anime land after like Advent Children and all that crap. And it makes it really hard. The idea of making a remake, I just don't want to see Cloud looking emo anymore. Like where was the cloud that dressed up in drag, <laughs> and had and made all sorts of wise cracks? Yeah, well, where's where's that like, guy? That's Mosey. What, what's funny is I think that's one of the reasons why we we've seen less of that sort of thing in kind of the modern JRPG, because there you know having someone dress up crazy you know like uh, cross dressing is more difficult to do when you have high definition graphics and and more detailed character models. Yeah. You know, when when you could say, okay, Cloud's cross-dressing, well, Cloud is a bunch of squares put together. <laughs> he, he's purple, and he has longer hair now. <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's really up to the player at that point to say, okay, Cloud's cross-dressing. I have to imagine what Cloud looks like as a cross-dresser. But if you were to have uh, Noel from Final Fantasy thirteen two cross-dress, well, it would have to be much more obvious because he's in high definition, and every bit of his character model is 
you know, defined. In all fairness, all you'd really have to do is give him the hint of a bust and maybe make his hair a little bit longer and you're done. Oh. I'm just saying, like, that's all Rob. you really have to do. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm saying these androgynous, you know, uh, What's the design? I'm I'm having Nomura. 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 Like his androgynous character designs. Like I'm so done with them. That that I I don't think that that's necessarily Nomura. I think that androgyny is popular in Japan. And it has been. No, no, I'm right. You're right. It has been for a couple of decades now. Well, it's uh, it's getting tiresome. Like I, I, you look at the. I love the designs, the original character designs from Seven. I really, really like those character designs, and they've just gotten more and more away from that. Like you could, it, it comes down to the thing. Uh, you, you know, um, when they first brought out Team Fortress Two, and they said we wanted to make it so that each character was recognizable from their silhouette. Like you could you could tell what each character was from long distance from their silhouette, and we wanted to make each character very distinct. You look at the cast of Final Fantasy VII, and you have a Bengal tiger, a big black dude, and a guy with spiky hair. <laughs> like like you can really tell what each one of these characters is. And now it's gotten to the point where like, with the exception of maybe Saz and Snow's coat, I might have a little bit of difficulty gauging which character is which in Final Fantasy XIII. You know what I mean? Like it's. I, I understand the point you're making, but I don't think that example really holds water. It's not, I mean, it's not a huge example. Silhouette-wise, everybody looks pretty different in that game. I mean, right? But what I'm, the only thing you might confuse maybe is Fang and like, I don't know. I I understand your point. It, it's not a. I'm not making like a glaring thesis right now, but what I'm saying is like that each character in Final Fantasy used to feel very distinct. I mean, you had Robin Williams, Mog, and a ninja in Final Fantasy VI. Like. I, it, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's. It, I think that part of that is you go. You know, they they did it with Team Fortress Two. You're absolutely correct. I think that the more that you go with, you know, photorealistic graphics, the more difficult it is to do that because, well, humans look pretty similar. You know, yeah. Like there's a lot. Like making two sprites look different is a simple matter of swapping some colors and moving some pixels around. Right. Right. And the, and then you're right. The the our imaginations. We really fill in the gaps on those. I mean, look at the character models from like the original Resident Evil or Silent Hill, and like how much we had to. You go- you had to imagine what a Jill sandwich would look like. <laughs> <laughs> or um, uh, you know, th- th- God, I'm really trying to avoid talking about it. Uh, but we had to use a lot of imagination in order to make these characters come to life. And I think that with the high definition graphics and whatnot. It's hard now because characters that I had envisioned way back in the day, they don't look right to me in, yeah. well, it, in it, three it's, dimensions and in high definition know, right I, now. That, that I don't think has anything to do with high def graphics, and, and I want to make clear that I'm not poo-pooing high def graphics. No, 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 no. They're, no, no, they're no. awesome. But I think that has to do with, with your imagination versus something being shown to you. It's like, Rob, I'm sure that when you watched uh, the Game of Thrones, the the characters that you had in your imagination did not look like you know the characters that were on the HBO show, right? But now that the HBO, but then you can do something where the characters do such a good job of portraying what you had imagined that they then become what you read in when you continue to read the books. And I think that this probably happened with Harry Potter fans. The big example would be uh, the fact that The Godfather came out before the book came out before the movie, and now you can't help but read the book. And imagine Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone. Like, oh, yeah. you, you can't, like, he has become synonymous with that role. And I think that unfortunately, video games sometimes we, 
we've gotten it stuck in our heads so much. I think that's a perfect example of why people just completely disregarded Samus Aran in Other M, in Metroid Other M. People were like, this is not Samus. This was the first time she had a voice outside of making, you know, orgasmic yeah, no, sighing sounds in Metroid they, they, Prime when she got hit. They totally butchered that character, and, and I don't know why, but that's 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 not for us to talk about. No, but I, I think what what Jeremy's article, I really, really liked it. I mean, it was very short, but it was just showing that you know people are still clamoring for a freaking seven remake, and it's just people need to realize it wouldn't work. It simply wouldn't work unless they completely reimagined it at this point because Seven was just such a bat crap crazy, you know, made by different developers. Even the FMVs don't look right. I mean, some are uh, fan- phenomenal and use the big character models. Others use the tiny Popeye armed people. It just doesn't make any sense. Like the game is nuts, and you could not bring that to a remake. And I, I think we should stop clamoring for it. I think what Square Enix really needs to do I, is figure out what they're going I, to do with that franchise yeah, now. I have, I've never clamored for that, so don't tell me not to. Yes, I agree. You all want a 9 remake, though. Yes. No, no, I don't. No, I just want 9 I again. Change your mind. I just want more games with characters from 9 in it. I would just like 9 to not have a terrible finale. 9 has an amazing finale. Uh, it, it, it gets good, but I really don't... I, I don't like it when they go to the, the pandemonium, whatever... It is. Uh, oh, Terra? Yeah, that that was when I, the, the story – I really liked the idea of the story, but I don't think the execution was that great. But then it got better at the end. You know what I mean? Like it kind of hit a lull. The Final Fantasy oh. IX podcast, just an FYI. What's that? I said this is not the Final Fantasy IX podcast. No, but we're talking about JRPGs. That's what we're doing right now. We're talking about JRPGs. We, we actually have the JRPGs that we were intending to talk about. Well, we'll talk about your next one then. I'm going to let Steven start this one off because I was the only person talking about Neptunia. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I've been stuck so, uh, in Emelor for too long. If we're talking about the other JRPG, it's the one that I'm playing, which is one of my favorite JRPGs ever, uh, Tales of the Abyss on 3DS. Yeah, uh, It's by the time Our review is already up, uh, and as John said, it's not super pretty, uh, but it's that's really not – if you played the original Tales of the Abyss, you know the game looks pretty bad. Uh, the character models are well designed. The world has a nice aesthetic, but the textures are muddy. The backgrounds are pretty lame. Uh, and it's, a lot it's of even the, worse on 3ds. Yeah, on 3ds, really like is. you'll even notice when you're playing on 3ds, like when a character levels up, you get this little graphic over your character's portrait that says "level up." And on the PlayStation, it was nice and clear and looked fine. But on 3ds, you can tell that they just basically squished the original graphic, and so it looks super blurry and pixely. Um, but Beyond that, uh, this is probably the better version of the game because, uh, again, if you really love Tales of the Abyss, the graphics were totally not a factor at all. Tales of Legendia looked even worse, and, well, that game was terrible. So, but Legendia um, was not, not as terrible as people like to, to claim that it was. I just didn't care for it. The, but you know what? That was I was introduced to that series by Tales of Fantasia, and then I didn't play it again until Symphonia. And Legendia is nothing like Symphonia. So I was like, well... Yeah. Well, I I hated Fantasia. Like I tried playing Fantasia on Game Boy. That's the, the worst. Made, yeah, it, it was it was awful. Yeah, like I, I never beat it on Super Nintendo, you know, and uh, you know it was a good game. And when it came out, it was like there was like nothing like that. There was basically the first Star Ocean, which I mean, we didn't get that until PSP. But um, and the PSP one is nothing like the the. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the PSP one is basically built like Star Ocean two, which all right, yeah, we're yeah, getting off topic. The, yeah, but. But, you know, 
Tales of Fantasia on Game Boy was, you know, the weaker version, but um, Tales of the Abyss on 3DS, basically yeah. the original version, like, there was some nonsense I remember. Uh, you know, I was super excited because I'd kept hearing, oh, Abyss is one of the best Tales games, one of the best Tales games, and if Legendia sells well, we'll get Abyss. Well, Legendia sold pretty terrible, if I recall, at least even by even by the standards they had set for it, which were pretty low because they didn't even voice the second half of the game. Uh, but somehow we got Tales of the Abyss, and I'm glad we did because it's still, you know, for me, it's still my favorite Tales game. The The cast is just fantastic. The dialogue is great. The the localization, I actually, I think I remember you saying the dialogue wasn't that great, John. I have to disagree. I think it's exceptionally well written. The dialogue, I think, the voice when, when acting is... When did I ever say I, I anything I, about I thought the dialogue? I, I thought you wrote in one of the threads that, like, the voice acting was pretty mediocre or something. I, I might have misread that. Do they, do they keep all the voice acting uh, for this? No, no, no. Reason? Uh, they kept a lot of voice acting. All the voice acting is still in the game. They did not go back and voice the skits. Uh, in the Japanese version, all of the skits were voiced. Uh, in the English version, they didn't, you know, because they didn't spend a ton of money localizing it, uh, you know, we didn't get voice skits, which is fine because, you know, it's better than not getting the game at all. Uh, this is a very no-frills port. They, you know, they fixed the glitches. They fixed the glitch. Uh, you know, they made the world map. They made the towns on the world map stop teleporting to the other side of the screen. You know, uh, they fixed most of the frame rate issues, but not all of them. I mean, I haven't finished it yet, so I can't say. But for all intents and purposes, on a technical standpoint, this is far better than the PS2 version. Yeah. The load the, times are dramatically better. Yeah, that, that is one nice thing is that the load times are probably the worst part of the, the original game. And they, they've been mostly fixed here because you're loading from a cartridge. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you really want, like... Considering I, I think this is the first actual RPG on the 3DS, that's a good start because yeah. this is well, one of the, the – what well, else do we have? Devil Survivor. On the 3DS? Yeah, the Devil Survivor Overclocked. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I reviewed that. Okay, yeah, well, you did. Right. <laughs> it's good <laughs> okay, now he's well, paying attention. That was a great game too. Uh, but anyways, if this is the second RPG you're getting on 3DS, this is a great deal. I mean the game is 40 bucks. It's ridiculously long. Tons of side quests, which now are fixed. You know, there were glitches in the original that – you know, you could mess it up, or you couldn't. The game would just randomly decide, oh, you can't finish this side quest, so you can't get all of Jade's best abilities. Or, you know, oh, you missed a... You know, there are still missable side quests, but that's always been big in Tales games. But now, they, they've gotten rid of a lot of the... Te- all, almost all of the technical snafus that, you know, kind of messed the game up before. It really, is if you haven't played it and you like JRPGs, you need to play it, because the cast is fantastic. The story is... The story is de- is pretty good. It, you know, thematically, it's fun. Um, the dialogue is amazing and the combat is super fun and there's just tons to it. You know, for the price, you're getting an improved version of, you know, one of the best, I think, JRPGs on PS2. No, it doesn't look great, but every other aspect of the game is pretty fantastic. So, you know. Yeah, I, I have to disagree with Steven on, on some points here. And the main one is you need to buy it. Well, I'll, I'll be honest here. If you played it on PlayStation 2, or even part of it on PlayStation 2, you don't need to buy this. They have added absolutely nothing to the 3DS version. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, from that perspective, yeah, true. Like, if you really love Tales of the Abyss and you want to play it again, you can buy it. But, I mean, if you've beaten it and you don't feel like you want to play it again, no, there's no need to buy it. Yeah, but it, it, there, There's no crazy new stuff. There's no new dungeons. There's nothing new. They added 3D, which sucks. Yeah, it's the 3D is not really all it really does is make you go cross-eyed when you're reading the dialogue because for yeah. some reason they have the dialogue bubbles float over the screen. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, there there are some games that do 3D well on the 3DS, and when I say well, that's a relative term. 
Tales of the Abyss is not one of them. Yeah. But, you know, if you're sitting here going, I've never played this, but I like JRPGs. I mean, hell, if you like regular RPGs, you know, and you're, you know, you like, you know, this fast combat, it's action. There's tons of different customization of the combat combos. Yeah, I I will say if you if you are listening to this podcast and, well, you're listening to this podcast, (laughs) then really existential there, John. Yes, I know, isn't it? Uh, chances are you're going to dig Tales of the Abyss. It's it's yeah. a quality game. Um, I, I know I the characters are really hit or miss. I I really like some of them, and then I really don't care about the others. But it, it's still a quality game, and I'll I'll agree 100 percent with Steven that it's got a fantastic battle system. You know, it, it's it, it's obviously not as deep as a battle system like Amalur or or another modern game. It, it is kind of button mashy, but it's entertaining and it keeps you immersed. Yeah, and there's a lot there's a lot to it. You know, I mean, there's a ton of skills you can learn and you know, the multiplayer is not there anymore, which was always a huge draw for me, but you know, I, for all I, intents and purposes, it, it's a portable PS2 RPG and one of the better PS2 RPGs, you know, so that's something we can talk about is the multiplayer in Tales games because you know what, Kimberly and I have been trying to play Tales of Vesperia multiplayer for a while. Oh dear. And no, 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 this is not no dear. It's just I find it incredibly difficult that to to pay attention to because you know what if, if rpgs were just like chunk of story battle chunk of story battle it would be fine but when she's running around talking to random npcs because i'm not engaged i seem to not care like i'll watch the story sequences because there are story sequences but you know the the half or th- you know, a third of the time that you're spent doing garbage stuff in RPGs, I find that incredibly difficult for the the player that's not in direct control to to stay engaged. John, I have a question because we talked about this a lot with you because you do a lot of like blowing through games and and you're always the first to say that you'll like skip through real quickly after you read through cutscenes. What is an example of an RPG that really pulled you into the world and you felt like you were a part of it and you didn't want to leave? Um, and I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm just saying, like, I, to me, it, it's like you tear through games so differently than I do. Like, if I love a game, I want to do everything in it. See, there, yeah, like for me, it's agonizing to tear through a game if I really enjoy it. There, there are very, very few games that I will do everything. Um, I did everything in Mass Effect 2. And, I hear it's and, a good game. Yes, it is a very good game, but Mass Effect, like it, Mass Effect Two, kept me engaged. I like the characters, I like the world. I'm a fan of science fiction, and and it, the things that it was having me do were, you know, entertaining. It wasn't like because most of the time when I do side quests, it feels like well, these are not engaging me with the world at all. This is some stuff that's going on that doesn't matter to anything else that's going on, and because Mass Effect Two's world is so compartmentalized, and because it's it's meant to be played in chunks, and kind of everything comes together at the end. Uh, even though the individual mission might not matter, it, it I don't know, it kept me engaged like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you, you're never going to find me really doing everything in mini games at all. I don't even do it in MMOs. Like, like in I I like World of Warcraft. I like Star Wars: The Old Republic. But I won't even do every quest in a zone. I'll do the absolute bare minimum I need to level up and get beyond that zone, and I'll just go to the next one. Mm-hmm. There's not often where I'm going to go and do side quests. Now, if a world kept me engaged 
via continual story sequences. There are lots of games that I didn't want to leave. You know, Shin Megami Tensei uh, 3. I was engaged the entire time, but because the focus was gameplay and not story, I was engaged because of the story, not because necessarily I didn't want to leave the world, if that makes sense. Okay, okay. That makes sense. I was just thinking about it, like what keeps me really engrossed in a world, what keeps me a part of the world. I I think um, – and I was thinking about some games that like – I really enjoy and how I would improve them. I mean, I, I, I always sit here and wonder if I ever should have gotten into game design. You know what I mean? Like, what I've really enjoyed it. I have friends who design games, and they're like, Rob, you would hate it. You would, you would just absolutely, uh, you would hate every aspect of it. And I'm thinking about like, what I really enjoy in a world is the whole vision just being all a part of what they're trying to create. Games like you know, Super Metroid, where I feel like I'm a part of a world and, you know, there's these different branches of the world. It's the reason why I love Dark Souls. And I was thinking about, like, you know, how do I make it so that I am always engrossed in a world? I don't like seeing loading screens, for example. I don't like having a disconnect, like, I have to touch the door and go into the door and I get a brief, even if it's a two-second loading screen. I don't like that. I like being able to open a door and I walk into the world, and there's no break between me and the world. You know what I mean? I don't like it when a game tells – was someone hissing at me? Well, no. I was starting I, – I, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't like it when I – I don't like it when I reach the end of a, a chapter in a video game, for example. I don't like it when I, – I agree with that. I, do, I hate chapters. Yeah, that was one of those things about like the original Dead Space that drove me crazy. I didn't like the fact that like after you got through a chapter in Dead Space, it was like end of chapter two. And I'm like, no, don't do that. I was thinking about how awesome would it be if like they designed a Dead Space game in the world of like Dark Souls. You know, everything was all interconnected. I mean, one play the first I, Half-Life. They do that really like that's one that's one of the great things about the first Half-Life is that you have this like kind of really expansive, you know, it, everything seems like it's like Black Mesa is a real place and the the lack of breaks between the chapters is just so well organized. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is I I find uh uh I one I don't I don't mind loading screens, which is what I was going to say earlier because it gives me a chance to go and pee. <laughs> but uh, like no, in Mass Effect One, it's like oh, there's an elevator. Awesome, I'm gonna go pee. Oh. We out. <laughs> but uh, I, I find that that the concept of of time travel is not the word that I want. Uh, the 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 passage of time is something that's not handled well in most games, and I think that that kind of a chapter system is a way for them to say, okay, this chunk is done. We've gone forward in time. Yeah. As because it, it's it's. I don't know. I, I I can't think of any real examples of game that games that do, you know, the the passage of time very well. Even even games that are oriented around time, like Chrono Trigger, I don't I don't feel like passage of time is yeah. Because you, yeah, you dial in, like, you, you dial just jumping in to different areas. Yeah. I, I one of the worst examples of it, and I, I'm not bringing it up because I don't like the series. I'm just saying it was something so weird. I love the train scene in Uncharted Two. But there was something that always really stuck as wrong about that scene, and I figured it out when I played through the game again, and I realized that – You're on the that, train for like an hour? Well, no. You're on the train, and, and you're going through it, and the first opening part of the train level, it's all jungle. It's just this hot, damp, you know, sun-scorched jungle. And then you go through like a five-minute tunnel, and on the other side, you are suddenly in the Himalayas, and it's a torrential snowstorm. <laughs> and I was just like, wait a minute. What the hell just happened? Like – how did that 
wait, what? And, and I think that gets to John's point of the passage of time is a very, very big problem in RPGs. Oh, it, and, it's it's because it's it's the same thing. Travel, time, everything is condensed in games. Yeah, well, you, uh, you fast travel half the time yeah, in RPGs uh, uh, these days. Yeah, well, fast travel is not a I, – I don't mind fast travel. It might break the fourth wall in that, yes, you're in a game, but it – I, I'm a fan of that in regards to gameplay systems, but that's also the same reason why time and travel doesn't work. I don't want to even, – even in Skyrim, you can walk from you know, the, an area that's incredibly snowy to an area that's you know, a, a temperate environment to in you know, 10 minutes. Slightly less snowy, yeah. But now, uh, there are some temperate. There are yeah, temperate. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like think about <laughs> – you're right. You're right. It's a temperate zone. <laughs> it's uh, no permafrost here. <laughs> but Fallout Three, for example, feels like such a cohesive vision because it is just a ruined area. And so when and, you're and, traveling in in Fallout, you you have the serious sense of travel without the thing that John's talking about, where ten minutes I'm I'm in this snowstorm and all of a sudden I'm in like a a sun desert, but, yeah, or but, a volcano. But you know what? I I think that one of the reasons that's, that's done well is that uh, Fallout is is in real life it's only supposed to be like a 400 square mile area, right? And it, it's it's yeah. condensed down to like 20 square miles, but that works. It also is not an area that has very disparate weather. You know what? You go from from Baltimore to Washington D.C. or I don't even remember the areas that that were displayed in the game. It's all Washington D.C. area, but. And and you're going to have the same kind of environment, the same kind of thing. The changes of environment come from different buildings, come from things that are inside the game. And as such, you don't have that same, okay, there's a change here because we've changed environments. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of this bigger issue is, you know, like not liking episodes and stuff like that. It comes from games perhaps being an interactive medium where you can choose your stopping point yeah. at any given time. So like saying I'm going to pick up Skyrim for 5 minutes because I have a little bit of time before, you know, before I have to go to work or before my next class, you know, you're you don't, you know, Skyrim and and Fallout are perhaps better examples of this, but like, you know, Rob you're playing Alan Wake and if you don't devote the time to play through a whole episode and especially if a, a separate game, because I think Alan Wake handled the episodes really well, but if another game, you know, is is trying to break itself up into these specific segments, and then you know you're like, oh, hey, I've got to go do something, it really ruins the the flow and ruins you know, you know the progression of the time that they're trying to build. I have to agree there because you know what, progression of time is functional when you are playing because well, you are you are investing time. The progress that you make is indicative of, of, you know, the motion of time. But if you go end of chapter and then chapter again, it's like, well, zero time has lapsed for me. Right. I've done I, nothing. I feel like I have to stop playing Alan Wake. I, I just finished uh, chapter three. I feel like I have to stop at the end of a chapter. Like, well, I feel like I have to, to stop. It's so much better. If yeah, you and, and walk away from it. But I, I think that it's set up like a TV show almost in that mm-hmm. regard. I think the number one thing that I'm looking for in video games these days, and this gives me an opportunity to bring up a really awesome Kotaku ar- uh, article that I read, and I forwarded it to Steven uh, maybe hey, a week or two we ago. Hey, forgot to bag on Kotaku. We're, we're oh, I didn't forget. We're, 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 oh, we're getting there. Um, thank you for reminding me, John. Uh, but it, Kotaku, uh, a gentleman there wrote a really awesome article 
uh, entitled, you know, Zelda is broken, and it, it, but we need to save it. And he, he just goes through this analysis of how the Zelda games and his problems with them and the lack of real exploration. And it, it's a very uh, a highbrow article. Like I was reading through it, and it, the dude could turn this into a master's thesis. And I, you know, I don't agree with every point that he's making, but it really showed me something about myself as a gamer. And I really liked his concept of keys and doors, uh, keys and locks, keys and doors, where when you played a Zelda game, when you played the original Legend of Zelda, you didn't know that your bomb was going to work on that wall. You went over, you explored, you maybe talked to friends, you figured out that your bomb was going to work on that door. Then in Link to the Past, they put a crack in the door, or they put a crack in the wall, and you know that if you see a crack in the wall, oh, I have to go over there and use a bomb on this wall. And the the wall is the lock, and the bomb is the key. And you have different examples of that in all the Zelda games, where it's like, uh, you know, you have to use your hook shot here. You have to the use holes, this. The holes in the ground in Skyward Sword, you have to roll a bomb in. Right. Uh, uh, Arkham City is also uh, very flagrant in this in this design philosophy. When you have steam vents, you have to throw up uh, an ice grenade at them. And I am really tired. Of going through the motions of these in games. What I love about gaming, and this is the reason why a, why a game like Demon Souls or Dark Souls, I adore these games, or or Silent Hill 2. I adore these games because they give me a world and they say, you go about exploring it. You know We're what? not going to tell you what's out there. You should play. Have you played the Stalker games? I, oh, you know, I have, I have it on my computer and I really need to sit down and try it. Be, because really you... Yeah, the, it, it seems like the kind of, of games that you would really like are a lot of the games that are coming out of Europe now, because specifically Eastern Europe. Yeah. They, they don't do hand-holding. They're just like, okay, here you go. Here's, here's the world. All the, all the stalker games are like that, where it's just kind of like, okay, here's how you control the games. Go do what you want. Yeah. Cryostasis is a good example of that, too. Like, I just started playing that again, and I mean, literally, they, like, dump you in the ship, and they're like, yeah, uh, stuff's frozen, and there's crazy people here. Go figure it out. Yeah, I'm I'm really tired of games of me going through the motion of in games and doing exactly what I'm told because it's not a puzzle to me. It's not a puzzle when I when I see a, a Zelda or Arkham City and I'm like, oh, okay, that's the wall that I need to you know explode or that's the switch that I need to flip. That to me is not a puzzle. I play games for exploration. I mean, there are there are areas in some of my favorite games that you would just never see. I remember my first instinct when I when I got to Silent. Hill 2, and you go through that long opening, and you finally get to the town. My first instinct was to just walk around. It wasn't to go to the apartment building, which is the first thing that you're supposed to do in the game. It was to just explore and just see all the different nooks and crannies. It was the exact same design philosophy in Shadow of the Colossus. I spent so much time just riding my horse around open fields, just looking. And like, there's a there's a really spooky looking tree at one point in Shadow Shadow of the Colossus. It serves no other purpose. It's just there. It's just there to be observed, to just see like a technical side of the game, an artistic side. I I don't typically like games that are very, very gamey. I like games that uh, – and maybe that's why I really enjoyed Skyrim, Oblivion, Fallout 3, and maybe I'm a little tired of those games right now because I've played so many of them lately. But I, you know, dungeons that are just there just to be there. Something that I, I'm just going to explore. I mean, I'm still finding secrets 130 hours later in Dark Souls. I'm still finding secrets in that game, and that's what I love. And I'm, I guess I'm just tired of games 
saying, oh, yes, we have puzzles. We have things to do. No, all you're asking me to do is to find that one key on my key ring that unlocks this door, that unlocks this. It's monkey see, monkey do. You tell me to do this whenever I see this situation, and I just repeatedly do it. Rob, so it sounds like it's, – uh, it, to me, it seems like there are several types of games, one of which is the the game as a puzzle. And when I say a puzzle, I mean like a crossword puzzle or a puzzle that has a solution. Right. That's not the kind of game Rob wants. Rob wants a world. And, I like a world and interaction. I mean I, I love – I love it when I'm not sure what a game's going to do. Like maybe this is why I love the Hitman games so much because the Hitman games are like, here's your target. Well, at least they used to be. I'm, I'm a little worried about the new one. But they're like, here's your target. Go get them. Hit them. Hit them. And, and it's like, well, well, what do I do? Well, we'll give you some hints and we'll, we'll, we'll put some things out there that are like red flags where maybe you can interact with this. But overall, it's up to you, the player, to have the ingenuity to come up how to do it. And you know, I'm not saying that, that that this means that you know one type of game is better than the other, but what I'm saying is that I find it much more fulfilling when I feel like I have explored a world. And I don't think we have enough of that right now. One of, one of the big games, I'm really excited about it, but I, I'm also worried about it. Uh, I'm glad they delayed it until I think it comes out in March now. Uh, Silent Hill Downpour. And this is the first time since Silent Hill 2 that they've really opened up the town – and they want you to explore the town, and I'm like, that was the, the creepiest thing about the original two Silent Hill games, was just this town of pure rage and hate, and it was just there to be explored. And I, I miss that in games these days. I think that we've gotten to the point where, you know, you're, you're playing a game and all you're doing is just fiddling around with the mechanics of the game, and I, I'm kind of tired of that. But it doesn't mean that those are bad games. I think those are just looking for, and maybe something like Stalker is something that I should see. But John, so. you, but now, John, do you like playing games that that allow that level of exploration, or does your nature, where you just want to complete the game, does that interfere with that sort of thing? Like I, I like, I like exploration to a certain extent, but I, I really do enjoy the game as puzzle game, okay. where I enjoy where there's a solution, I enjoy where there's something for me to figure out. Now, I don't want to be led by the hand. And I don't think that the two things that that we enjoy are disparate because I don't think we're necessarily talking about the same thing. No, no. Um, like I don't I don't mind when there's hints and I don't mind where there's a specific puzzle setup. I don't mind the the, the as you put it the lock and key system. I don't mind that. I don't like being led by the hand though. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, when, when I play a game, my goal is not to experience the world. It's to play the game. It's to win. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that the other issue is that you can have a lack of exploration in the world but still have exploration in the mechanics of how the game plays. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, like, I, I, I yeah. agree completely. You look at most like strategy RPGs. Well, strategy RPGs are very specific in the way that they're played, but they're also very open in regards to many of them where you have a mission. They're like, okay, there's a group of guys. Go kill them. As opposed to, like, Front Mission 4 did this, and it really bothered me, where there were certain missions where, yeah, there were a bunch of guys on the other end, but there was really only one way to consistently win that battle. That's actually, uh, Wild Arms Crossfire is pretty guilty of that, too. Like, they give you tons and tons of class options, but almost every fight, there's basically one correct set of classes, and it's like, it's more like trying to find which peg fits in the hole, rather than, you know, saying... Tactic, Final Fantasy Tactics, for example, it's just like, oh, go make some guys and punch the crap out of people. I think that's why I, that's why I love. Well, uh, even Final Fantasy Tactics, that was guilty of that at one point. The reason that I've never beat Final Fantasy Tactics is I got about 
I don't know, 45, 50 hours into the game, got to a battle that I couldn't retreat from. Like, it, it was, it, you know how they have the, where it's like three battles in a row. You can save between, but you can't oh, go back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you and one of them screwed. had a giant chasm in the middle, and all of my melee characters... I know get, which fight you're talking about. Yes, and, <laughs> and I couldn't go back because I didn't have another save, which... It's a reason you save, you have multiple saves, but this is in the world of PS1 where I have 30 blocks between my two memory cards. <laughs> you got to like space it out. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, I got my Final Fantasy Tactics save. And I just, like, even with the PSP version, I, I, I couldn't play that far into it to get beyond it. I think that's why I loved, even though I said in my Mass Effect, re- two, uh, my Mass Effect 2 review that the game is very much a corridor shooter at times, like especially when you're on the missions, you're kind of just walking through from kill room to kill room. But where the game's flexibility comes in is in the combat scenarios and how they, bu- they built the game where you could be you know, a sniper class and hold back and shoot people in the face. You could be a vanguard and rush up to them. And, and, you so- can, and, and they also have that equal amount in regards to the characters that you bring with you. Right, exactly. So the exploration comes from the exploration of the combat mechanics of the game. It doesn't necessarily – I think environmental exploration is my favorite, but if you allow me to experiment and explore with how a game plays, then I am really freaking happy. But if I find if I find the kill button, if I find the one way that wins every combat scenario, then I'm just like, I don't want to play you this You know what's anymore. interesting, Rob? Have you played a lot of the, the tri-ace JRPGs, so like Star Ocean and no. – uh, Because honestly, I think that those might be the types of Japanese RPGs that you would find the most enjoyment out of because they're very much about customization of your characters and finding what's good for your gameplay style. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I agree. Try it out. I just, just don't play Star Ocean 4. I just, I, I just don't I, like playing a game where there's only – there's the one – it's like you guys were saying. There's the one correct way to go about this. The other ways will get you there, but not as easily or not as functionally. There's the one freaking way to do it, and I hate that. That always drives me nuts because I'm just like, well, how, well, what happens if I didn't think like that? You know what I mean? Like what happens if I didn't think to go about the combat scenario this way? Well, then you're screwed, Rob. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, part of it is is uh, getting back to that, you know, age-old question of, like, are role-playing games really, you know, air quotes, role-playing games? And, you know, like, allowing the person, allowing the player the freedom to actually explore, you know, their, you know, the role of their character in the game, which is something that the open-world games that you like so much you know, really let you do, and, you know... When you get to like having this lock and key mechanic, as you know the the writer t- you know termed it, you there isn't room to really role play. You know you don't you don't get to try to you know you don't there's no trying different things to see what works and see how they work and how the world reacts. It's just here's how you play the game. Yeah, it's like the chicken. I, it's like the chicken thing where the chickens would press the button to be fed a treat. And they just repeatedly press the button to be fed the treat. And I feel like that's what's happening in video games sometimes. It's like, oh, you should feel awesome that you figured this out. I'm like, no, I didn't figure it out. You put the freaking like exclamation point right there. I, I know to do that. Yeah. I, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. Uh, so can we? Um, so I think maybe we should move into news. Why don't we do a couple hey, of quick hits real quick? I think we should keep talking about Kotaku. Yeah, let's talk about Kotaku real quick. <laughs> John, I, I, I felt like I heard the claws coming up. <laughs> no, so, not, not that I'm not with you 100%, but I, I definitely heard. Like, so, 
Now, now I I enjoy the name of our podcast much more than I enjoy the name of their new, their new JRPG column, Random Encounters. Um, specifically because you know what a random encounter is very obvious. It's something that that can mean many different things, and it's specific to the JRPG genre. However, when you get the name Random Encounters, it's like what you would title an area of Craigslist. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you've had that stored up for a couple of days haven't you, you are you are absolutely correct sir <laughs> i i guess i'm uh, you know they can name their article whatever they want to i think it's cool that they're doing like a jrpg awareness article every week but i'm like come on dude I'm like we kind of agonized over the title of this podcast. I was throwing all sorts of different crap out there, and eventually, I think this was the one that I really didn't want to name it because I was like, "That's so generic," and yeah. like, it, it, <laughs> it ended up know, sticking. It, it, I'm sure that we're not the first, and we're not the last. No, person. we're not. There's actually a Greek podcast. Uh, no, it's German. It's a German podcast uh, called Random Encounter. They are actually still going, and I was like, "Oh man, I feel so bad about that." And then I listened. I was like, "They are speaking in German." <laughs> I don't feel so bad about this right now. And then there was another podcast from like 2010 that was called Random Encounter. So we we, we just had to to get that little. Yeah, thanks for naming your podcast after uh, your article after what Column we do. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a personal shout out to make right now. Um, I'm still in the middle of playing uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. I'm I'm gonna get my. Uh, my review up in the next couple of days. I received a lovely email from uh, Dan Hadley. Hopefully I'm saying that name right. And uh, Dan kind of called me out a little bit. He was like, well, actually, when you said that none of you, the quest decisions that you make uh, impact the world, that's not true because here are a couple of examples of some quests where you could you know, theoretically wipe out a whole town. And I was like, yep, you're right. No. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad that he called me out for that. I mean, I, I definitely, if you guys think that that we're off the rails a little bit, it can create discussion. And that was one of those things where Amalor, I, I said I wasn't sure if if any of my decisions were actually impacting the world, and it turns out they are. And I think that you know they could really do a lot more with that, especially with the nature of the story and the world of Amalor. I'm really excited to see more games in that universe, and so here's hoping that they do more of that. Um, and so Dan, thank you very much for calling us out. Dan's got a website called us. Uh, what? Calling what? us out or calling, calling Rob? Mr. Rob out. Calling me out. Thank out. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Dan's got a website called The Gaming Hipster, uh, gaminghipster.wordpress.com. Uh, check it out. And Dan, thank you very much for listening. He also gave us a review on iTunes, which is very much appreciated. Yeah, we like iTunes, and we like when you tell um, iTunes that you like us. Yeah, we, we like to be liked because, you know, maybe yeah. if our name was a little bit more visible, we wouldn't have people like Kotaku trying to take it from us. Hey. Yeah, so like you know, subscribe on iTunes. Even if if you regularly listen to the podcast and you're using the RSS feed, no, use iTunes so that we get way up there and more people listen. It makes me happy. Yeah, please, please make me happy, everyone. Um, like, should we do some news? We got a lot of news. There's today. a lot of news. Um, I think the the biggest news is Pokemon Black and White too. For DS. It's For black. DS, yeah. It's white. Um. So just yeah, there's there's not a whole lot known about the game except that it's for DS. It's coming out in June, uh, in Japan at least. And then the the instead of going for the you know like the Pokemon Gray option, they've gone for Black and White too. And the title po- like the the cover Pokemon are you know instead of just the one, everyone was kind of thinking it would be Kyurem from you know he's the the kind of shade ambiguous pokemon from the last game you have a, a new forms for him 
that are mixtures with Zekrom and Reshiram from, you know, like the two title poke. I don't know. It's interesting. Check out. We have a, an image on our site. And so hopefully we'll be able to, to give you more information as we go. I have a question. And please do recall. Go ahead, Steven. That I have some Pokemons and I would like to show you them. No. <laughs> Fire. I have a question. I have that's a question. I have an answer, maybe. Hey, is, hey, is Nobunaga you, now a Pokemon? Yes. No, well, that's different. That's <laughs> yeah, uh, I did a presentation in Japanese class about that game, actually. Nobunaga's um, ambition? At Cross yeah. Pokemon, yeah. Steven, um, you know what? I, I'm going to have to murder you, just an FYI. Is it because I keep using out-of-date jokes? Yes. You know what? It, it's okay to like memes, but you need to keep them up to date and not go with memes from five years ago. Thank you. But I don't like memes. They just stick in my brain like a fungus. That, that that's why they're memes. He was gonna pick a new meme. Don't, don't do that. Don't <laughs> dare, Robert. Um, we have more news. We have uh, Nino Kuni, uh, which was announced a little while ago, is gonna be is coming out this year. Um, hopefully, it, everyone. Yeah. This, so this winter, we this I was winter. honestly expecting it much sooner. Yeah. Hopefully, but yeah, they that, say I mean, they game... say that they're trying to you know like give it the the proper you know attention that it needs for the localization and to get the voiceovers right and you know it's going to have both english and japanese voiceovers so you know one to look forward to i think and bring it out in the fourth quarter where it's going to be completely overlooked by all the big releases of the year good luck hey man mass effect's coming out so it is pretty cool they're spending that much time on it though because i mean that game came out in japan like almost two years ago didn't it really i mean it was a while ago but i forgot you know i i just think that i I don't know just give that game a, a you want them to do a great translation job, and that's awesome. But at the same time, like, do not release that game like in the middle of November. Like, that would be suicide for that title. It would just be completely overlooked, and that's a shame because like, I want to play it. So I just I, man, well, it's yeah. coming to Europe in in quarter one, twenty thirteen. So you know, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe just do it like in February or like March. There's no Mass Effect next year. Hope maybe. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and then we have we have a couple of uh, other game releases that have just come out. So we got Final Fantasy Tactics: War of the Lions is on the iPad, and uh, is that horribly hmm. overpriced? Yes, yeah, $10. yeah, at eighteen dollars. What? I, just just a little yeah. bit. You know, you have the PSN version is is ten dollars, but you don't get that brand spanking new translation. So, uh, and, the, and the iPod oh, version the, the, is yeah, like the PSP version. I think is also nine ninety nine. Is that on? Did that get on uh, PSN? Yeah, it's I, on PSN. I actually think it's a it's one of the Vita enabled titles too. Let me check. Oh, uh, okay. Um, As he whips yeah. out his Vita. Yeah. yeah. But speaking like, of other overpriced iOS games, uh, Shin Megami Tensei. Just Shin Megami. Original. The original, yeah, the original is With no uh, is, translation, but that's crazy. I I might download that as just like a project. You know, try to play this game in Japanese. But yeah, so um, it's it was released in Japan a while ago. Um, but now you can play the iPhone or I guess iOS version of Shin Megami Tensei, uh, in Japanese for $14. Um, and it's based on the, the GBA remake. So there's like some, you know, extra content and stuff like that. But, you know, if you can get past the language barrier, then if perhaps. you can speak Japanese, Hey man, it's only some of us are so lucky for those of you that can five, speak Steven. Japanese. Um, yeah. Hey, some of us can do that. Yeah, you not know. me. That's a shame. <laughs> Robert, you, you have nothing better to do, right? You know, so just get on that. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, teach for a living, jerk. Just MBD. Um, 
we have Xenoblade Chronicles, April 6th. Get your pre-orders in, potentially. You better um, get your pre-orders in. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the rumor going around, is that you have to, you're going to have to pre-order the game, otherwise you won't be able to find it on store shelves, and only through GameStop or Nintendo Store. So, uh, take with a grain of salt, because it is a rumor from the internet, uh, patent pending. But, we all know internet rumors are true. I mean, Diablo 3 came out last week, right? More or less. Right? I mean, that's that's what people were saying, like, a month ago. I got my beta key last week. <laughs> Oh, Steven is so angry right now. It will destroy you. <laughs> the best part is John's not even playing it. He's not. <laughs> He's like, well, you know, I got it. So in addition to Xenoblade, we also have another uh, Wii RPG yeah, that's got, supposed to be coming out. Yeah, we've got uh, Last Final Story. Famous. Oh. Yeah. Nice try, though. Um, Last Story is coming soonish. I'm, no, I'm actually sure intrigued. I, I, this is I, supposed to be like Xenoblade was, you know, air quotes, the good one. But I heard that this one was like the better one. Well, I, I'm uh, intrigued. I've the, actually heard the opposite. But really? Oh, OK. This one does have I mean, I don't know, like opinions are mixed. The music is awesome, though. The battle system looks really interesting, like the kind of moving around the environment using cover with swords. That's that's kind of weird. But I mean, I, hey, interesting. maybe maybe they're gun swords. Could be swords with guns on the end. Yeah, the that's not foreign to JRPGs at all. The dogs with bees in their mouths, and when they bark, they shoot bees at you. Just, just to confirm, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics for PSP is only $10, and it's available on Vita. All right, there you go. So, hey, you know, if you've got one of those devices, that's not an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> if you would like to spend more money to get the iPad version. Uh, then, you know, perhaps, well, hey, you know, it's it's the, the eight extra dollars of the iPad version it, versus it, it, the 250 extra dollars of the oh, Vita. It's, a, so. it's available on the regular PSP, too. And this the PS thing. But the regular iPhone version has been out for a while, though, right? Yeah. Okay. And then the, the last other, you know, like big, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but big localization news is that, uh, you know, good people die. Yeah! It's so sad, but it's... It's coming out, so there you go. You know, a little bit of happiness in that name. They're not probably not titling it that, but it's coming. <laughs> that, that'll look great. Can I get a copy of Good People Die? <laughs> yeah, no, the um, the Nintendo Power article that the localization was announced in is going by the, the Japanese name of uh, Zenin Shibodes. But... Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to see that on the 3DS by the end of the year. Don't know about the Vita trans or localization because it is yeah. an Nintendo Power article. But how is the reception to that game in Japan? Is it out in Japan yet? Yeah, it's been out in Japan for a little while. I Was thought. the reception like? Do people like it as much as 999? I don't know. I'd have yeah. to look up the Famitsu. I Chun's, all the Chunsoft stuff gets really good reviews in Famitsu. Like the what was it 428, the one that we never got for Wii, the crime visual novel, got straight tens in Famitsu. Wow. Yeah, what did they give Final Fantasy thirteen? I don't know. Uh, just just saying. Just saying. No, no, no. Is it four two eight? Yeah, four two eight. Fusa Soreta Shibuya Day. Got straight tens in Famitsu, and it never came to North America. Wait, that, that's that uh, in a blockaded Shibuya or whatever? Yes. Oh. oh, man. Sorry. I really am telegraphing myself here, but that game did have great music, too. God, you were just... <laughs> I have the soundtrack. I, I know, but you... you I don't just... even know what the game is. <laughs> I don't know. All right, what other news do we have? Oh, that's it. Really? No. 
Fire Emblem coming. Fire Emblem 3DS to oh, Europe. I missed, I missed that one when I was going through our. Hopefully, news, but... hopefully, also to North America at a later date. But so far, it's only been announced for Europe because we know how much Nintendo of America loves us. Oh, you know, another another European release is uh, Digital Devil Saga is coming to PS2 Classics. Which I, I yes. one of one That's of the in Europe that... only, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now, Ghostlight is or localizing now. it, and uh, you know, hopefully, oh, hopefully, hopefully, Atlas will you know do something yeah. similar. But we, we, we got a, we got a couple other ones. Uh, they announced. Uh, Etrian Odyssey 4 for 3DS. So if you're a fan of dungeon crawling, um, chances are you're going to be all up on that. Uh, Borderlands 2 is going to be out in September. Yeah. Awesome trailer. All all this this news is coming from the end of the week where I was just like like poking at my keyboard writing my thesis. So I'm sorry I'm slacking off, guys. No, it's okay. okay. (laughs) Why wasn't I excited by that? Borderlands 2? Yeah, I it just looks was, pretty rad. I don't know what you're talking about. Because you didn't like the first you got, Borderlands. You got you got mad by the name Gunzerker and stopped paying attention. No, I, I just don't. I don't know. I, I I really hope that they they do a lot of things with the game. They they've it looks like they've completely revamped the skill tree, which was my number one problem with Borderlands. So I'm I'm excited. I just I did not enjoy that game as much as I thought I was going to. Hey, I just really hope they don't bone up the PC co-op this time because you know. Oh God, that was a train wreck. What was wrong with the PC co-op? You I had to, game had to open. No you had to open like fifty oh. different ports to get like. Okay, yeah, that know, was annoying. Multiplayer that's working. How, that's how it always then, been. No, for PC co-op, like I, you know, I'd hope that it would work better in whatever. Yeah. Have you ever played Left for Dead, Stephen? <laughs> There's a good one. <laughs> Left for Dead is completely different from Borderlands. Borderlands is like Diablo with like no, one no, small. No. But what I mean is that when you said like, oh, PC gaming is always like that. Yeah, no, like I had to open ports to play Left for Dead. Really? Why? Yeah. Oh wow! I, I just, I, it was such a pain to get that game actually running, and I. I I think one thing that really bothered me about that game was was the the giant. Uh, you know, I've talked about it before. The numbers game with that game. I don't need to talk about it again. I, yeah. I just I, do, I didn't like the fact that it, this is a hard mission, so you will only do one point of damage to each enemy there. And then after I level up twice, I go there and I just run the whole mission over with the exact same weapons that I was using before. I mean, that is that was the you know the big issue is Diablo with guns boils down to numbers with guns. I just think Diablo handles it. Like, even if you have bad loot in Diablo 3, like, you can still... I mean, Steven would know this if he was playing it right now, but you can still, like, run over the game. You. And I know. Uh, that's also some big news. They completely revamped the whole skill system in Diablo 3, and it is awesome. So, All right. Diablo 3, we can talk about it when it comes out. Uh, well, so we can never talk about it, you mean? Where's Thanks, my John. calendar? Okay, I'm going to mark down for June, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully... I want to see a simultaneous launch for... Oh, sorry. You go. You guys remember when I said it was going to come out in the first quarter? (laughs) You were wrong. Hey, hey, Rob. You know how you said you wanted D&D games to come out on on GOG? Or on on Steam, rather? D&D? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Go... Go to GOG right now. This is not going to help our listeners at all because the sale will be done by the time they listen to this, but they're buy one, get one free. With a free gift of... uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which wasn't a terrible game. It was kind of goofy in some aspects, but it was a pretty cool game. I talked about that on the podcast oh, once, nice. and I was just, like, floored by the... It's very D&D-y. Yeah. It, for, from what it I has Elmo. Right. Does it? it? For, 
from what I understand, Tell- Temple of Elemental Evil is kind of the the distillation of the Dungeons and Dragons rules. It's very focused around combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I was. It's a uh, it's a very literal interpretation of the D and D three five rule set. Which you know, like if that's what you're going for, mm-hmm. you know, it's very like highly tactical and you know, I don't know. I have issues with three five combat just because you know the people that I played with. That's the part that we liked the least. But um, you know, hey, good old games. Love good old games. Love Steam too. Adore Steam. So, yeah. uh, I have a small monologue to to finish us out. Oh boy. What the the PlayStation Vita is now out. Ah. Um. And I wanna I wanna give a couple of of I don't know I I forgot how to speak English. Future looks. <laughs> Predictions. Um, no, the, the, the PlayStation Vita is a very, very, very nice system. The games are gorgeous. Uncharted looks better than most games on the PlayStation 2. It's, it's an amazingly powerful system. Um, one thing that I think is going to be happen, happening that, that I'm both wary of and that I'm, I'm happy for is I think we're going to get a lot of PlayStation 2 ports onto the system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obvious it's a very powerful system, can probably play. PlayStation 2 games just fine. I think we're going to see companies, specifically with RPGs, going, okay, you know what? Let's take all of our PlayStation 2 library and port it to Vita. Yes. And sell it again, which which is great for some games. You know, if you never played, you know, like Valkyrie Profile 2 or, or any other games, that's going to be fantastic. But I, I, I worry that that might squelch some of the, the fantastic RPGs that we might see on the Vita. Well, I mean, at least if it's PS2 ports, then they won't have hackneyed touchscreen support built in. Hopefully. Well, when I when I say ports, I'm I'm not talking like PS2 classic ports. I'm talking. Oh, like straight you know, like, like real ports. Like yeah. we made Digital Devil Saga 2 for the Vita, and it is now fifty dollars. Yeah. That, yeah. Which it's worth it, but that's the rare exception. Hmm. I'm I'm interested in picking up a Vita, but I still I, I don't well, know. I just you know, I have too many games play. At this point in time, the the only reason that you need one is if you're super hardcore into Uncharted or Wipeout or or yes. any of the launch games. Now, to be fair, it has it, it even though it's only got one RPG, which is a forty dollar port of a thirteen dollar PlayStation Network game of a one dollar iOS game. <laughs> I read that article. Oh yeah, which one is this? That's Dungeon Hunter Alliance. Oh, <laughs> yeah. People are freaked over this thing right now. Well, no, I I was angry too. I remember when I got it announced, I've been trying to get a copy from Ubisoft, and they don't even respond to me. They, um, they know. Well, but it's you know what? There several of the launch games are ports. You get Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom, um, and a couple of others. But you know what? Even the the launch games are good. You know what? The new Konamari is good. Uncharted is great. Luminous is fantastic. Wipeout is Wipeout. Hot Shots is Hot Shots. Like, it's got one of the most solid launch lineups I've ever seen on a console. Because usually what a launch lineup is is one good game and a bunch of crappy games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Perfect Dark Zero was the good game for the 360, right? I thought Cameo was the, quote, good game. (laughs) I don't think there were. I don't remember liking any of them. (laughs) Yeah. But... No, it's it's a great system. It's gorgeous. It's powerful, and it's the I think it's the kind of system that that will garner the kind of games that that our listeners and and we enjoy. There, it's going to be kind of the hardcore game system. 
I think. Yeah, if if it turns into that, I'm definitely interested. I just again, I don't want I have no interest in playing Uncharted. I have no interest in playing God of War on that thing or GTA. I just you, you, I want you know different what? experiences. I, I I truly think Rob that that this is the first handheld that's been able to to kind of give you a different experience that's, that's the same kind of quality. Mm-hmm. That's on like now. To be fair, Uncharted has a whole bunch of gimmicky things that use the touchscreen, and that's because it wasn't developed by Naughty Dog; it was developed by Studio Bend. Yeah, but it, I think that it has the ability to give you a console experience, but still change it up for the handheld. I think that we're going to see more experiences that are closer to what you see at home. But I don't know. I just think there's going to have to be less corners cut when it comes to Vita development. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. I mean, you know, uh, we've seen games running on it that look very impressive. I think it'll take maybe a year or two for the developers to really get a feel for the technology. I mean, there's always a downside whenever they're doing any of this kind of stuff for the first time. Well, even, like, Uncharted is gorgeous. And if they can get better than that, the system is is amazingly powerful. There are also some pretty ugly games at at the launch, but... Yeah, I played... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I... Say, I, I played Uncharted at Best Buy, and I I mean, you know, you hear all the rumors like, oh, it looks great. It looks, you know, it's almost PS3 quality, yada, yada, yada. But once you actually play it, I mean, it, it what I noticed was that it actually ran well. Like, they could make it as pretty as they want. If the game has, like, a 20 frame per second frame rate, I could care less. And, I mean, I, I didn't play it for very long, but just it it was running well, and it looked fantastic. And just the screen is so bright and colorful and It's a good system. It's not everyone needs one right now, but if you're a fan of any of the the big launch game series, you know there are worse purchases to be made. Why are you talking about 3ds? No, no. Well, the the 3ds is inexpensive now, or more inexpensive. I think that it was on sale at GameStop a couple weeks ago for 150. Wow. Wow. I mean, the, the better deal is if you can get like their. Uh, Best Buy had this once where you get buy two get one free on the games and then like also a gift card so you get like three games in a 3ds for like 200. What's the what's the deal with the saving on the the Vita? I know it uses those little cartridge thingies. Can you save on those cartridge thingies? Or All right. So most I have no game, clue. Most games no. Oh. Um. Well, most games require a memory card. I think the only two at launch that didn't were Dungeon Hunter and uh, Asphalt. Which were the two iOS ports, ports like of iOS games. Phone games yeah. um, every other game requires some kind of memory card. Like I've got, I've only got two physical copies, so I can't check the box or the box for anything else. But Katamari requires uh, three megs of space, and Little Deviants requires one meg of space. Okay, so if because if, I'm I'm deciding if I wanted to get a Vita, would I buy the physical copies of the games or would I buy well, the download? So I I've been buying the downloads. Uh, about half of the companies that are currently offering digital versions of their games are offering a 10% discount on the digital version. Oh, wow. So cool. like for me for me, Uncharted was was 45, Wipeout was 36. That's now, actually be, pretty good. To be fair, I ponied up $100 for a, a 32 gig memory stick. That is. I, I'm. It's silly. By that. I, I'm going to get that value back by buying the games digitally. I, but you know what I mean? I am morally outraged at that. Like $100, 32 gigabytes. What's it's, the excuse? I, I can't recall I, what they security. said it was because. Yeah, security they're, they're trying to prevent the system from, from kind of being the same. Custom firmware, let's pirate things that the PSP was. 
Yeah. Isn't it just I, a matter I, of time, though? I I think so, but I I hope that they are at least somewhat successful. Yeah, I mean, I, I want them to protect their stuff, but I just, you know, I, I was all, I, I, I'm sitting there going, wow, Vita's, you know, 250 bucks. That's not too bad. I mean, that's expensive. And they're like, oh, gigabyte stick. You got to spend a hundred dollars on this. At that point, I was just like, done. Now, to be fair, it's not necessary, especially if you're going to buy physical copies of games. Get a four gig stick and just that's all that you'll need to use. Right, just for the saves. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if I wanted to say download Tactics Ogre, which you know. Well, Tactics Ogre, like, here's the thing. The the most PSP games are a gig or less. I think Tactics Ogre is 600 megabytes. Uh, okay. So yeah. you can still get a couple of games on there, but I, I just I just went for it and got the 32 gig. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for telling us about your Vita, and you can just, you know, sit there and go nanny nanny that you have one. Was it hard to find? Did you have to pre-order it, or can you? Well, I, I, I pre-ordered the first edition bundle because uh, okay. I wanted it early, so, like, it wasn't as if I, I had to pre-order if I wanted that one. Hmm. I'm just wondering if you have to like if you had to pre-order I, or you could walk sure, into the store. I am sure I that's went, right. You, the the PSP was not difficult to find at launch. I can imagine that you just be able to walk into a Target or a Best Buy and get one right now. Yeah, I went to GameStop today and uh, paid off Mass Effect and SSX. But and I actually asked the guy. He said that you know they're selling it through it, but they're not impossible to find at all. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm just remembering the PS2 drought. Because that was the last time I really had to hunt down a system. I didn't hunt down a Wii, so you know, like, I, I the the oh, Wii's were difficult to find for upwards yeah, of a year after yeah, launch. Yeah, but like um, PS2, it was like around March they finally started to get their act together on that yeah, thing. Well, I th- I think handhelds being less less difficult and less expensive to produce, they're able to produce more of them. Yeah, yeah. And there were there was also a significant buffer between the December launch in Japan and the. March launch in North America. Or yeah, yeah. What month are we in? February. I think we are. Yeah. Still. <laughs> yes. A couple more days. A couple more days. All right. Well, I'm getting tired. I got stuff to do. I got tests to grade and whatnot. So I think we've reached the end of the podcast. Yes. 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 All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to the show. Make sure again to subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. We love to see those reviews on iTunes. We're at what 26 now. 26 reviews, yes, and we're still five stars, which I don't know how that happened. Uh, I, apparently, yeah, seriously, I'm on the show almost every time. Good I Lord. know. I, mm. I figured that you would take the star count down at least one. At least two or three. Yeah, I mean, seriously. So, yeah, you know. Give us fives. Give us fives. And yeah, be Give sure. us fives or give me a Diablo beta code. No, never. Uh, continue to uh, let us know how we're doing on the show. Again, I'm really glad that Dan, you know, called me out on that one. I like to see that sort of thing. I want this to be, you know, a community show in some respect where if you guys have a question of us or you guys have a show idea, definitely let yeah, us know. We, so. we, we might do that. We might do a Q&A session in one of our future shows. We don't get enough email at the podcast at address because I only check it like every time we do the podcast. <laughs> Nobody loves us. But they well, no, I, I, I don't check it very often because it's I, I get all my RPG fan email to my phone. Because yeah. that's that's what we all do now, but I don't get the podcast emails to my phone because ah. it's just full of spam most of the time. Ah. Well, that's okay. Uh, well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. And uh, tune in. We got a what? What's that big game that's coming out? In more? I don't know. It's something something uh, crass. The game that I've already dropped like 15 hours into the multiplayer with two maps. Yeah. How how good is the multiplayer? Uh, if you like multiplayer and playing awesome things with your friends, it's pretty freaking good. I think we might have to play tonight, dude. Do you have the PC demo? I do. My roommates have it, too. we got to hit that. The thing that I do, this is just really brief about the Mass Effect 3 demo. Um, 
I, I really like the fact that the opening of that demo was just like uh, the South Park episode, um, the day after the day after tomorrow. And they're just like, we didn't listen. We didn't listen. And like, and Shepard's just sitting there like, we need to get you know everything together. We need to save the world. And the whole human council was just sitting there like, we didn't listen. Dude, I was sitting there <laughs> playing it going, my God. I was like, he told you. And Shepard, bless him, you, there's no conversation option to go, yeah, I told you a couple of times. I, I still think I'm going to have to play the game as a femme Shep. I still don't like the male Shepard voice. Mark Mears' voice is awesome. I don't like – I don't know why, but I, I just want to hear Jennifer Hale. That's all I want to hear every day. So, All right. Look forward to our Mass Effect 3 episode. We will definitely have a lot of mm. Mass Effecting to talk about. Tales of Graces also comes out next month. Oh, okay. Yes. Nobody forgot about that. that. Nobody cares about JRPGs, guys. I care about that. Tales games are awesome. Go home, Rob. And, and hey, you know what? We uh, I'm very excited for that one. And I got it. Got the when Amazon first posted the game, they posted it for forty dollars. Wow, I got awesome. my I got my pre-order in then. So yay! Nice. All right, definitely look forward to the next episode. And thanks again. Talk to you later, guys. Bye.